TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph, and I have snuck, snuck, stolen 30 minutes of one of the world leaders in the health and movement primal living actually not one of the world leader of primal he invented it i've got mark sisson with me i'm at the at the thrive symposium in sydney and i i just happened to bring my microphone and there's no other wellness guys here it's just me lawrence is i think in new york brett is on the paleo way tour with with uh, with pete and uh it's me and mark mark it's great to see you it's great to be here damien what a great time we're having so far huh Oh, mate, it's amazing. So there's about a 100-plus inspired, motivated individuals in there, and they're learning everything from food to, we just spoke about stress, through to primal living and lifestyle. And, uh, and you and I had lunch before, and we'll talk about some great stuff, and I'm going to pick your brain about some of those things in a moment. Mark, there'll be people asking or wondering, what is this Thrive Symposium? So I'll just tell a little bit of a story about it. It's, it's um, Thrive Me. Uh, it's brought to you by Thrive. Now, Thrive is a, uh, it's kind of like a fast food store, but it's super healthy. Like You go into the supermarkets and the shopping centres around um, town and, and you see them. There's one in Melbourne, which I love. I go there and go get my um, salted caramel smoothie. It, it floats my boat. And, uh, and, uh, and, and they're, they're popping up all over the place. And so there's five stores at the moment. There's a sixth one opening shortly in the Macquarie Centre in Sydney. Everything seems to happen in Sydney. I think we need more in Melbourne. Uh, and I know that Brett would say we need more in Adelaide. And, um, and now that Lawrence is, uh, is moved over to Sydney, he doesn't really care. But uh, it's really nice that uh, Josh Sparks has this vision to be able to spread um, health and wellness through food and bring the community together. So good on you, Josh, for bringing Thrive Me to, uh, to um, Manly this time around and possibly might see it in Melbourne or somewhere else. But uh, if you want to check it out, go and see Thrive. Um, there's plenty of them around and, uh, and, and buy some great food. I, I can definitely recommend the salted caramel thick track. It's, it's amazing. What's, what's the, what are you seeing at the moment that's happening with the movement of, uh, of Primal throughout the world? What are you seeing at the moment, Mark? Well, the movement of Primal, which is my particular brand of paleo, um, is, continues to increase substantially. Um, linearly, it's not exponential like I would have um, preferred, but um, it is increasing and improving, and there's more traction, uh, particularly among the, the medical community, which I'm finding very gratifying because that's where the real leverage comes. Uh, through the uh, general wellness community in the form of uh, dietitians and and uh, nutritionists who are um, finding that this is a great uh, addition to their uh, existing training, uh, and you know we're changing lives, and you know that very well. That we in the past seven or eight years since uh, the Primal Blueprint uh, first hit the marketplace with with the book, um, literally millions of people have tried or adopted this way of living and particularly this way of eating and have seen tremendous results. That's so true and we are seeing it. I like that you said that the primal blueprint or the primal, the Marxist and primal blueprint is your version of paleo because we're seeing a very strict version of paleo in Australia at the moment, um, one that's kind of almost polarising people in terms of uh, how they feel about it and whether or not they're ready to dip their toe in the water or jump in head first or, or run to the hills which running would be good, wouldn't it? Because you know, we're talking primal. Um, but obviously you mentioned food, but there's the movement aspect to it. And there's also, you know, um, behaviours associated with primal living too. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, clearly you need to dial in the diet. That's, uh, that's something that's, I think, incumbent upon anyone who wants to achieve optimal health, what we call uh, becoming a, an optimally uh, metabolic human, uh, somebody who's, who's uh, learned to become good at burning fat, less reliant on glucose, uh, decreases inflammation, um, trends toward an ideal body composition. And all those sort of happen um, substantially as a result of adopting a way of eating. But beyond that, uh, we need to uh, find ways to get sun exposure. Uh, vitamin D is a critical part of our immune system and our mood. And without sun exposure, um, we can do all the right things with food and then still have uh, depression and, uh, and, and get sick a little bit more often because our immune systems aren't functioning optimally. Uh, we need to uh, figure out how to get an appropriate amount of sleep. Sleep is not a luxury, people. Sleep is a necessity. And um, and, it's, and it's something that over the years I've grown to appreciate more and more. So whereas I used to apologize for the seven and a half to eight and a half, sometimes nine hours of sleep that I got, now I brag about it. And uh, almost the more sleep, the better. Uh, so sleep, sun exposure, uh, finding ways to play. Um, and you and I at lunch spoke uh, extensively about stress and how important uh, m managing stress is in one's life, uh, particularly in the context of a very uh, aggressive, high-tech, hedonistic, modern society. Uh, so managing stress through play uh, basically accomplishes a couple of things. It basically uh, allows you to have some fun. Uh, you have to carve out time from your busy life to actually have fun. What, what a novel concept. And in so doing, uh, are able to decrease stress, which is otherwise a risk factor for almost all diseases. That's a great point. It is so true. And we do need to actually be purposeful about our exercise and, and our fun and all those sorts of things. But it's a weird thing, isn't it, that these days we have to carve out time and find time and borrow time to actually go and you know be in the gym or be out in the playground or find different types of ways in which we can maintain our strength, you know, whether it be doing chin-ups in the door, doorway or doing some press-ups on the side of the bath, whatever, uh, we actually have to find the time. And, uh, and that, for some people, is actually stressful, which is, which is ironic. It's, it's very ironic because it doesn't take that much time to be active. Uh, you can do the press-ups in between phone calls at work if your boss will let you do that. Um, I uh, created a, a work environment at my office where I have my employees... Uh, each of whom has a stand-up desk, each of whom has a treadmill at their desk, which they are not um, forced to work at or, or use. But if they choose to put in a couple of miles while they're on the phone or while they're typing, they can do that. And what it does is it unburdens them of having to think about on the drive home, oh, my goodness, I've worked all day in the office. I haven't done any kind of real effective movement. Now I have to go to the gym. So to be uh, in a position where they're allowed to to actually uh, engage in some form of movement on a treadmill while they're at work or to be encouraged to take a lunch break and go outside with their coworkers and have a meeting while they're walking 45 minutes for lunch. Um, we do have pull-up bars in our office, and, and people are uh, constantly just stopping off in this one side room where the pull-up machine is and bang off 5 or 10 or 15 pull-ups. Um, you know, you can find ways to uh, incorporate movement throughout your day that doesn't require that you carve out a lot of time. It just it's just allowed in the context of, of uh, an eight-hour work day, provided your boss will let you do that. I reckon there's people looking for a job right now, Mark, that are thinking, I'd move, I'd move to the States for that environment. <laughs> That's where they want to be. But uh, that is a great point. And, you know, obviously people can actually find ways to, to, to move. Uh, I think that's a, it's a really important thing to be doing. Um, 
we're seeing in Australia a little bit of a threat. We're seeing threats from, uh, from not the food industry group, but for people who have a vested interest in food and nutrition to kind of um, derail the movement towards eating healthier, which is primal and paleo. That's, that's really, in essence, what it says. Eat more vegetables, have a plant-based diet, eat more good quality protein and good quality fat. That's what we're saying. But we're seeing that there's this attempt to derail it. Are you guys seeing that in the States? Um, I've been surprised uh, at the reaction that I've seen here in Australia since I've been here. Uh, I don't think it's quite uh, that uh, vocal in the U.S., and I think that there's uh, some – certainly there's, there's a, um, a dichotomy, a divergence between the uh, training that most nutritionists and registered dietitians and physicians get in the U.S. and – uh, as opposed to what we're offering up as, as basically a real food diet, which is what you just described. Uh, how could anybody not want to eat, you know, grass-fed beef and, and organic vegetables and, uh, and raw milk or, or, you know, artisanal cheeses or whatever, you know, natural foods, unprocessed foods they come across? It just boggles my mind that, that any group would, would defend um, the, uh, a way of eating that is based on uh, pasta, grain, cereal, bread, uh, cookies, crackers, you know, all of the things that we sort of in our community have recognized are probably antithetical to health. So, uh, you know, I, I do see it as a, uh, a political um, uh, issue. Uh, and but at, at the end of the day, I feel pretty confident that here you and I sit having a secret that some people know about and some people have tapped into and are experiencing and, and having great results from. And I'm willing to tell anybody who wants to hear about it that, that particular secret. But it seems that there are so many other forces that are conspiring to prevent us from letting the rest of the world know this amazing secret that we have that would allow you to access uh, great health. So I'm guessing the secret is uh, to live more primarily. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, and it's it's not hard, and it doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's not uh, it doesn't involve a tremendous amount of training. It just involves a little bit of education about how the way uh, the, the way your body uh, moves and operates and works, uh, and understanding how uh, your genes, anyone's genes, the DNA within us, uh, is a recipe that wants to build a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, productive human being. And really, all we have to do, and I say all we have to do, is uncover these hidden genetic switches that we all have. That, so what, what are the behaviors that cause us to, um, to build muscle? Uh, and what can we do to turn those genes on? What are the things that we do that cause us to store fat? And how can we turn those genes off? Or how can we increase the genes that ignite the burning of fat and cause us to burn off our own stored body fat? These are all well within uh, our purview as, as humans, uh, and particularly modern humans, and taking advantage of science and technology to incorporate movement patterns and ways of eating that, that get us to this uh, strong, fit, healthy human. That, it shouldn't seem profound, but there'll be people on the other end of this uh, thinking, oh my gosh, is it that easy? That's incredible. Well, I love that, and, uh, and it's exciting because uh, when we're at lunch, Mark, you were talking about some of your behaviours. And there'll be people listening to this now that probably heard our interview two and a half, nearly well, probably three years ago. They heard our, heard our, our chat on the wellness guys. And, uh, and they'll remember um, that, and I recall now, you'd actually just come back from stand-up paddleboarding. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And I was trying to recall what it was when we were having lunch. 
But uh, have things changed for you? I mean, I know that this is your eating program and this is your lifestyle and it's your brand. And you made mention that um, you can change it if you want because it's yours, right? So, <laughs> which I loved. I thought, oh man, I want to create something like that. But uh, it's good. So, what what's actually changed for you um, with regards to primal living um, in the last couple of years? Well, you know, we, um, we we started out with a fairly rigid template for. Um, eating, for instance, that excluded all grains and legumes, uh, that was pretty, uh, for people who could consume dairy, was still fairly rigid in its exclusion of certain types of dairy, um, that was, that looked at sugar as, uh, as, as demonic and, uh, and counter, uh, counterindicated in every case. Uh, and, you know, that was, a, that was an interesting template, and we operated off that for a while, and that was sort of the, the uh, prototypical paleo template as well, but over the years I've I've started to um, to realize the pendulum has swung back a little bit. And whereas we used to be um, uh, against the consumption of legumes, for instance, we now recognize with all the with all the research into resistant starch and within into the gut biome and uh, into um, the types of of um, uh, starches that act as prebiotic fiber for the bacteria that reside in our gut, that perhaps we're better off consuming some of these fibers mm-hmm. that occur in some of the beans and legumes that uh, are, are available um, almost throughout the world. Uh, so maybe legumes are back on the menu within reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with grains. Uh, while I still maintain that wheat is probably not uh, anyone's uh, first choice in terms of health, whether it's whole grain or not, um, at the other end of the, of the grain spectrum, things like... Uh, um, quinoa, um, some forms of uh, wild rice and things like that are probably appropriate, uh, particularly if you want to uh, consume as wide a variety of foods as possible and you're looking for ways to uh, increase the palate. So we've, t- we've taken a little bit of a stance back on grain and said, you know, well, you know, some, some grains are worse than others, and, and, uh, but to just uh, make a blanket statement that all grains are bad is, is, is probably preventing a lot of people from experiencing some additional uh, gustatory pleasure, if you will. <laughs> That's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, it is amazing because there are cultures around the world that survive only on grain. Now, they survive. They may not thrive, but they do survive. But in, in, but in some cultures, they do thrive. And it's interesting because there's research coming out of, the, out of Italy from Alessio Fasano talking about leaky gut and how gluten causes leaky gut. So I agree with you on that sense that probably wheat may not be the best way to go and possibly spelt it's probably worth avoiding and then you know potentially maybe oats and other things that could trigger this thing called leaky gut but I'm thinking that you know millet and buckwheat and amaranth and quinoa the ancient grains are probably still all right and there's cultures that have thrived for thousands of years eating those sorts of foods yeah what it comes down to is um, all these foods exist on a spectrum of best choices to worst choices or at least not so good choices and um and and ultimately uh, that's how we get through life is making choices on a on a moment to moment basis so my job with Mark's Daily Apple and with the Primal Blueprint uh is to educate people um to teach them a little bit more about the options that are available to them so that when choices are made they're made from a position of knowledge and, uh, and, and, and some ground of understanding that uh, if I make this choice, um, there may be a greater likelihood that I'll achieve the intended end goal, which 
in most cases, is better health, um, as opposed to other choices that I might make. What, but historically, what we've done, at least in the United States, and I'm sure it's the same way in Australia, is you make these, cho these choices based on recommendations from um, authority figures or authorities or the government agencies or whatever they are that are based on who knows what, uh, faulty science, uh, uh, shady political connections, uh, and so on, and you can't ne necessarily trust the source of those of that information. So what we do in our community here is we try to present enough uh, evidence-based um, science that we can, you know, make the sorts of choices that we feel confident in making that will uh, lead to the to the greatest likelihood of success. So that's kind of a an obtuse way of saying that um, within the realm of grain, as we just said, wheat's probably not a good choice, but um, you know, on the far end, uh, uh, rice and quinoa would probably be good choices. It's fruit. You can look at fruit and you can go, okay, well, fruit is, uh, most fruit is high, very high in sugar, and we, you know, trend towards staying away from sugar in this paleo community. Uh, so what are my best choices of fruit? Well, it might be blueberries and blackberries and raspberries and other uh, exotic berries that you have here. I don't know. Uh, but the, the tart fruits with less sugar in them are probably better choices than the, um, the highly uh, sugary sources of fruit. Uh, again, these are just choices that exist on a spectrum, and there are no right or wrong answers. There's no good or bad. There's no black or white. They're just choices, but I just want people to make choices based on some, some knowledge base uh, that, ha in, in the case of, of fruit, for instance, would suggest that, well, berries are the best choice, and you know, melons are probably not so good, and bananas are okay, but not great, and no right or wrong, but just, uh, you know, uh, arrange them in order from best to worst. Great answer. And the reason why I reckon that's a great answer is because it actually allows people to understand that everyone's individual. So some people can thrive on fruit. Like there's people out there, I interviewed a couple on 100 Not Out running around Australia. They did 365 marathons um, in a year. Mm -hmm. So every single day they ran a marathon. They're raw food vegans and they ate 30 bananas every single day. Now, the only thing that actually happened to their body that was hugely significant was that they became B12 deficient. And, and I looked at that and I've gone, really? Is that the only thing? And they had to go to medical doctors and stuff and they checked the whole thing out. And I met with them after they'd finished their 365 runs and the only thing they needed was a B12 shot, which is, for me, phenomenal because they ate 30-something bananas a day. 30-something. Now, that could be brown ones, green ones, yeah. you know, yellow ones, but they still got there and they ate all the other fruits and vegetables that, of course, they need to. I don't recommend that as the best way to eat. I would recommend that you'd eat more, more protein, have more fats and eat more salads and vegetables. But I, I thought that that was fascinating because some people can do that. And um, you'll be familiar with Peter Diadamo's dad's work in the blood type thing. And so I've used that for many years along with what you talk about in my practice. I, I teach people to kind of just get a snapshot at what other people have found is beneficial for groups of people. It's like the A-type blood person may benefit more from fruit than the O-type blood person and so on and so forth. But where from you, Mark, can people find more information? For example, Mark's Daily Apple. Yeah, well, marksdailyapple.com is a blog that I've uh, written at every day for the last um, oof, almost nine years now. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's... The source uh, for a lot of people who first find out about the Primal Blueprint is they, they might do a search on uh, Google, put in a couple of terms, and find something I might have wrote, written three or four years ago. Um, the Primal Blueprint is my book. It's been around since 2009. 
um, huge bestseller, and a lot of people gravitate toward that as a sort of a, a starting place to understand the ins and outs and the science behind uh, this way of eating. Uh, yeah, and, and my main focus in life is to educate people. So uh, I want people to understand the ramifications of their choices and to be okay with that. Again, no judgment. There are no right or wrong choices here. Um, they're just options. They're just opportunities. But I would, I would like to think that what I'm offering are some science-based opportunities, ways of eating, ways of moving, uh, how to arrange your sleep, um, how much sun or not to get, uh, that have the greatest likelihood of you achieving an outcome that you desire rather than blindly following some conventional wisdom that takes you down a wrong path and gets you in, uh, deeper and deeper into a hole. I'm liking it. People are already going there. I can, I can feel them typing away, which is good now, Mark. We've got a few minutes left. And, uh, and we were talking to about your exercise regime because you were pioneering back in the 60s training hard, training longer, training faster, doing all of that sort of thing. And then, of course, the human body changes. Um, and in, look, let me just say that I'm sitting next to you. How old are you now, Mark? 62. 62. You look like you're 32. He's still fit. He's still got abs. He's got pecs. He's got cannons, guns. He's got the whole lot going on, everybody. Um, and, uh, and so, but exercise has to change, I would have thought, as you get a little bit on or maybe you start to learn more about exercise. What's changed for you with exercise? Well, there's a, a huge benefit to having been a lifelong exerciser. Uh, my body knows how to be fit. It doesn't take as much work to be fit as it might for someone who starts uh, this process at the age of 30 or 40 or 50. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that um, I have a certain what we call muscle memory that allows me to achieve a level of fitness and then maintain it with very little work. But the, the key to this is that um, 80% of one's body composition is determined by how you eat. 80% of what determines whether you're fat or muscle is determined by how you've reconfigured your body to selectively derive most of your energy on a day-to-day -day basis from stored body fat. And when you become good at burning fat, whenever you skip a meal, whenever you eat a light meal, whenever you work a little uh, extra, your body looks to its stored body fat for energy. It doesn't require a plate of new food. And over time, you trend toward an ideal body composition. So 80% of your body composition happens as a result of how you eat. Knowing that, it doesn't take much work in the gym to tone up, firm up, rip up, whatever term you want to use it. Um, it doesn't take that much uh, that much work. Now, the couple you referred to who were doing a marathon a day for 365 days, they needed sugar calories that they got from fruit uh, every single day. So I can give you a uh, very scientific reason why what they were doing uh, could work and, and clearly did work for them. Uh, they were burning through a tremendous num amount of glucose glycogen, a little bit of fat but not much, uh, every single day. They needed to refill their glycogen stores. When you are not doing a marathon a day, when you're doing, uh, in my case, as little uh, work in the gym as possible because uh, the truth is I just I've lost my mojo for going to the gym and doing cranking out you know hour hour and a half really heavy hard workouts I want to do I want to be as strong lean and fit as possible with the least amount of pain suffering and sacrifice that's become my mantra over the last 30 years and the irony is that once you get the eating right you do not need to train that hard to have to, to have a level of fitness that supersedes or exceeds just about everyone else. Now, I'm not race fit anymore. I couldn't go out and run a marathon at any 
breakneck speed. I couldn't race a bike like I used to unless I were to put the miles in. But short of competing and short of, 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 of being in that, in that competitive space, I'm, I'm very happy and very mobile and very agile, and I can go out and play ultimate frisbee, which I'm going to do in the next couple of hours. Uh, sprinting back and forth across fields will probably add up to five miles before it's over. I can paddle, stand up paddle for a couple of hours. I can take hikes. I snowboard, uh, you know, every day for a week in the wintertime based on the level of the base level of fitness that I've achieved with very little work in the gym. Sounds very much like a Tim Ferriss sort of model where you kind of, you know, just being very specific. Yeah, super specific. Yeah, minimum effective dose. And, And, you know, we particularly in the exercise community, because it's a, an obsessive-compulsive mindset that, that finds its way into the exercise community, there is this notion that more is better and that I've got to spend more time training and more and more time training. And if I did this X amount of time training and I got this, this much uh, you know, muscularity or strength or power, then 10X of this time in the gym will give me 10X the power, and it doesn't work that way. In fact, there's a decreasing return and a loss, a drop-off, uh, of results if you do too much time in the gym. So once again, I'm looking for that minimum effective dose that I can spend time in the gym, work really hard, make no mistake. I'm, I'm, when I'm in the gym, I'm working hard. But instead of an hour five times a week, it's 10 or 20 minutes twice a week. And that time in the gym allows me to apply what I've done, what I've built, um, uh, apply it to my versions of having fun, which are stand-up paddling and frisbee and hiking and snowboarding and every other activity that I that I do for pure enjoyment. That's nice. That's fantastic. The minimum effective dose. I think we we discussed, I was in San Francisco interviewing. It was funny because I was in San Francisco interviewing Tim Ferriss and he was on the other side of the world. So <laughs> I flew to San Francisco and he wasn't there. So uh, that was pretty funny. I should have organised that better, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway. Um, it's been great chatting with you, Mark. It's great. And obviously, um, people at the Thrive event are, are hugely benefiting. Um, and it's, it's a shame not to see thousands of people at this particular event. There is hundreds, but not thousands. I think we, I mean, obviously the wellness guys, listeners right now will be going, oh, I should have got there. I missed out on Mark. Um, but um, what are the sorts of things that you'll be teaching at this sort of event? Well, so I come to this event um, as as a life coach more than anything else. As a general educator, I talk more in terms of broad philosophies um, and, and paint broad strokes because the organizers of this event have brought in specialists in each of the areas. So I don't want to uh, necessarily interfere with the advice given by each of these specialists. And I certainly, uh, what I encourage people to do is use this as an opportunity to investigate for themselves and try out new uh, styles, new patterns, new ways of eating, new thoughts, new philosophies, new ideas. So I come to this, again, as, as kind of an overriding life coach who's maybe cajoling people into um, being willing to look at another point of view more than um, hammering them over the head and saying, this is my way and this is how you do it. Mm. I'm liking that too. I really like that. So you're leading the flock. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, especially, particularly in person. Now, you and I will have to get a selfie. We'll get that, and uh, we'll whack that up on Instagram and Facebook. And for everybody listening to this particular podcast, um, if if you want to hear more from Mark, obviously go to his website and sign up for his Daily Apple. Like, why wouldn't you? It's, uh, it's pearls of wisdom, years and years and years of hard, solid research and personal experience, and, uh, and there's, there's just wisdom abounding from this guy, and, and you want to be around him. So thank you so much, Mark. It's, really, it's been great. It's my pleasure, Damien. 
Now, guys, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com, The Wellness Guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. Surely it should have floated your boat. Chatting with Mark, it's been amazing. So I'm sure you will have loved it as much as what I have. Share this podcast with your friends because they all need to hear it and family and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and give us a comment. Leave a nice comment, something really nice would be good. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.